This is the Visionary Collective podcast, helping visionary, purpose-led entrepreneurs and leaders come together to activate their biggest visions and have the unshakable confidence to build a successful and fulfilling life and business that makes a difference in the world. I'm Lisa Mitchell, and I'll be sharing everything you need to create the foundations and growth to build your legacy. You know you are here to do something bigger as part of the Visionary Collective. Hi, and welcome to this episode. So this month, we're talking about the future of work, which is one of my personal favorite topics and is also, I know, one of the favorite topics of my guest, who is Ben Legg. And Ben is the CEO and co-founder of the Portfolio Collective, which helps professionals launch and sustain successful portfolio careers through offering training, community, collaboration, and work opportunities. And we are going to talk a lot today about what having a portfolio career means, so you can explain that with us. In addition to leading the Portfolio Collective, Ben also has his own portfolio career, mentoring startup and scale-up founders, helping investors pick winners, and supporting Oxford University's entrepreneurial initiative. So I'm so delighted to have you on here, Ben, because I know I've actually joined the Portfolio Collective and of having a little meet around, seeing how it all works. And we had a quick conversation, sort of discovering that we have quite a lot of thoughts in common from different perspectives. So I'm delighted to have you on here today. Yeah, Yeah, it's good to be here. So tell us a little bit of your story, Ben, and how how did this thing called the Portfolio Collective come into being? Yeah, so it, it almost happened by accident, but just to rewind to the beginning, you can think of my background in decades, because I got a few work-wise. So decade one, I was in the army, so I went straight from school to Santos to do officer training, picked up an engineering degree along the way, so spent 10 years basically in the Royal Engineers, traveling around the world, building things and blowing things up. Decade two, there's lots of rounding here, by the way, but keeps it neat. Uh, decade two is kind of big business. So we went from the army to McKinsey as a strategy consultant for a few years. From there to Coca-Cola, did various sales and marketing jobs in Greece, Poland, and India. Ended up as the number two of Coca-Cola India running a big turnaround. So that was decade two. Decade three was kind of big tech. So I was the COO of Google Europe and then did various global tech CEO jobs uh, all over the place. Uh, mostly in advertising, the last one in mobility. And about five years ago, I realized I preferred my side hustles to my day job. Uh, My day job was frustrating me. I didn't like having all my eggs in one basket, as it were. And on the side, I was working with startups and working with investors and doing the odd speech. And I wrote a book and I just thought it's more intellectually stimulating. Some of it pays, some of it doesn't. But, you know, I can make it work. If I ditch the day job, I'll have more time for my side hustle. So literally ditch the day job, spun up my side hustles. And it was more of the same as more working with, with founders as angel investor, mentor, board member, consultant, you know, lots of working with investors, helping them with deal flow, due diligence, just education about how things work. And then to work with, you know, I call it thought leaderships like speeches and, and working with Oxford University, et cetera. And I was doing that and I didn't even know it was called a portfolio career. I was just doing lots of stuff. I didn't have a name for my career. I didn't have a plan. I just thought one day I'll probably be a one person VC. Oh. Between angel investing and picking up sweat equity, I was starting to have stakes in quite a few startups. And I thought, that's it. I'll just be a one-person investor who likes startups. But then the great the, the, uh, lockdown began and the great resignation kicked off. And um, within three weeks or so of lockdown, my calendar was 50% full of one-on-one career mentoring calls with people who wanted right. to change. Just friends, literally. I've got a big network. You probably remember that mood from early lockdown. Everyone was reflecting on the meaning of life, you know, work-life balance, working from home, blah, blah, blah. And and obviously a lot of people were also worried they would get laid off as well. So a mixture of people saying I've quit or I've been laid off or I'm planning to quit. I want a different career. Your career looks kind of cool. How do I do that? 
And it was early lockdown. I had a bit more time than normal. So I gave everyone an hour off, but I realized I was saying the same thing Incredible. to everyone because you know, it was kind of everyone wanted to know what I agree. I also realized I was waffling. I hadn't restructured my thoughts properly. So I thought, right, okay, I need to free up my calendar. I need to structure my thoughts. I'll do a run a weekly workshop. I'll call it the portfolio career workshop. By then I realized what I have as a portfolio career and I'll have some slides and I'll structure my thinking. So I, um, Went away, interviewed lots of portfolio professionals, successful, starting out, pivoting, struggling. Tried to condense all the learnings into the eight steps of launching a portfolio career. Turned it into slides. And whenever anyone said to me, I need to pick your brains about you know, career stuff, I'd say, is it about portfolio careers? They say, yes. I say, here's a link. See you Wednesday. So it literally the portfolio actually started as a calendar tidy up exercise <laughs> for me. I wanted to help people. I didn't like to say no. But I didn't, I couldn't afford half my calendar to be, you know, one-on-one career mentor. And I thought I'd be dead in a few weeks. I just thought it's an early lockdown thing. Someone will do this better than me. So I'll just help a few friends until they realize there's somewhere better to go than me. But it got a life of its own. So first of all, people kept telling their friends about it and, and it got bigger. But then I'm a sucker for punishment. I thought I've done all the research for the slides. I'll write an article too. So I wrote an article on the future of work. I got it, I think the future of careers. And something happened I've never done before. I'll never do again. It got page one of Google about three days. Right. And at the bottom of the article was a link to right. the workshop. And so between word of mouth and this one article that seemed to do really, really well, the course just got bigger. Those other course, the workshop got bigger and bigger. And within a few more weeks, it was up to 50 people a week. And even then, I was kind of patting myself on the back thinking, well done me. I don't need to say no to people. I'm helping people. A little bit of thought leadership, just one hour a week, you know. Yay, you know, well done me. But it, it just, it wouldn't stop growing, uh, basically. So, um, and also I realized the problem was bigger than I'd anticipated. Yeah. Sorry, go. Isn't that the sign of something good, though? That almost like you don't have to, yeah, I think it so, just sort yeah. of gets momentum of its own. It was, yeah, right idea at the right time, etc. So, yeah, it, it, it just... It really did catch the mood. And luckily it wasn't just a lockdown thing because we're booming since as well. So yeah, so basically two things happened with that workshop that made me think I need to actually form a company rather than you know, do a deal with it a hobby. One thing is during this, I say workshop, it's literally slides in a Zoom call, but workshop that sounds fancier. And I said to people, introduce yourselves in chat. So they did. And although I was presenting, I was keeping an eye on the names because they didn't know everyone. A lot of people were friends of friends or whatever. I see, oh my God, they're so impressive and interesting and different. It's like, yeah, I'm a professor of such and such at Oxford, but I do some consulting on the side on nanotechnology. Uh, yeah, I'm an exited founder, sold my company to Google. Now I want to uh, be a, a sort of uh, an angel investor. Yeah, I built the HR function at company X, but now I'd like to be a consultant in that world. Yeah, I'm an author on such such, it won those of prizes, but it doesn't pay the bills. So I need to do work out what's on the side, which is all this of random, interesting, smart, really diverse. And A, that was just cool. It made me smile. But B, after the workshop, people would say, Ben, can you connect me with so-and-so? Because I think I've got an opportunity for them or I'd like to pick their brains up a virtual coffee or whatever. And I realized this was a community. Yes. Place. You know, you know, I, I didn't want to be the gatekeeper. I wanted people just each other. The second thing that happened is people kept asking me questions I didn't know the answer to. Like, how much should I charge for my services? I thought, I don't know. I know what I charge, but I'm kind of winging it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe someone should do some structured thinking about what you charge for yourself. But yeah, I've been offered sweat equity. What is it? How does it work? And how much should I answer? Like I've got that too, but I'd never really thought about it properly. So I realized I was winging it and everyone else is winging it. And we need to actually take all these questions and turn them into structured guidance, advice, norms, et cetera. So with those two things, I realized this is bigger than a weekly workshop. 
I was in the lucky position to be sitting on some spare cash that I was going to invest into other people's company. Decided to invest in my own for change. Launched the portfolio collective and here we are three years later going I mean, strong. And, and I love the fact that you're, you were sort of living it anyway, right? So you had that sort of experience of doing yeah, very much. From, from a sense of passion, lifestyle, I imagine, being with your yeah. kids, you know, all of those things. And then people start looking and saying, what? Yeah, that looks good. I quite fancy that, you know? I so do feel lucky. It's like two of my favorite things are helping people have good careers. I've obviously had quite a nice career myself and I like helping other people have good careers. I also love helping founders build great companies. Mm-hmm. And we're building an ecosystem of people where we have careers but their primary clients are founders trying to build great companies. So it's like two of my favorite things in one ecosystem. And you get to hang out with really fascinating people, which is also really cool, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I was sort of like, I was interested reading about was that the the community is is funded by the members, right? Yes, correct. So we've raised about a million pounds so far. All of it, or almost all of it, is from our members. So right now we are literally built for the community by the community. We are about to have a fundraise with probably VCs uh, who invest in the future of work, but we'll always be majority owned by our members and controlled by our members, not by, uh, let's say, abstractive, which I think is really cool. It just, it helps keep the focus where it needs to be, which is helping people have great portfolio careers. So tell us about this thing called a portfolio career then. For those of you who've never heard of that term, maybe, what is a portfolio career? So yeah, so in Terms. You know, I'm sure everyone's heard of you know, portfolio managers who are investors who invest in you know lots of companies or whatever it might be in their portfolio. It's kind of the same principle, but for a career, which is you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, meaning one day job. You want to have multiple income streams. Partly, just for the same reason as investors, you spread your bets and you you hedge your risk because you know one thing might go wrong, but chance for everything going wrong at the same time is very low. The other thing, though, just from a human perspective, is much more interesting as well. Yeah, your 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 work, you get to pick the industries you work in, the people you work with, the, the, the problems you like to solve, etc. So at its very simplest, it could be someone who's got a day job and has a side hustle. It needs to be a paying side hustle. If it's not paying, it's a hobby. Yeah. But if it's paying, it's a side hustle. That's very often step one of a portfolio career. Yeah, most of our members, not all, probably you know, probably 70% or so have ditched the day job. So they're starting to make money in multiple ways. And, and there are so many ways, you know, it could be part-time roles a day a week, two days a week, whatever. Could be board roles, could be mentoring, coaching, consulting. We've got authors who get a bit of book revenue, but nearly always have to make money on the side. Not many authors make money, enough money from their books yeah. alone. It, you know, it could be mixing up teaching, a bit of property development, developing some IP that you can license to other people. Yeah, there's you know, dozens of ways to make money um, yeah, as part of a portfolio. And you know, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think about this, I've got an 11-year-old daughter and I think about what work is going to look like when she's, you know, 18 or whatever the age is that she decides to go into work. And, you know, when I, in my generation, it was kind of, you know, the aspiration was become a doctor or a lawyer or, uh, you know, something of that nature. You know, that was my parents' yeah, yeah. generation, you know, and go into yeah. work and you knuckle down and you just keep your head down for a bit and work and do what you're supposed to do. And that's just yeah. not true anymore, is it? The generation, the younger generations in work, they won't have that sense no. of purpose. And think 10 or 20 years out and it's, yeah, it, especially with generative AI and other stuff, it's like, you really need to think through, like, it's interesting, we had a very early in the portfolio effective, we had a, a fireside chat and the four panelists all happened to have teenage kids. And one of the big questions is, what career advice do you give to your kids? So Absolutely. we were actually supposed to be running this workshop for our members who are mostly in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, but it's like, actually it ended up a lot about how would this look in 10 or 20 years time? And you're absolutely right if you first of all, 
an awful lot of work's going to get automated, you know, because generative AI will do it. But on top of that, forecast after forecast says only something like half of all workers in 10 years' time will have a full-time wow. job. Pretty much everyone else will have a portfolio yeah. career. What does that mean? If you're in a portfolio career, you need to be an entrepreneur. You need to actually do your own sales, do your own marketing, work out which products or services or whatever that you are delivering. Make sure you deliver well. You know, you need to network. You need to hustle. You need to maybe build your own website, et cetera. But that, you know, 50% of society will need to effectively be entrepreneurs running a one-person business. And that's a massive check in the way we think about work. Well, and a massive change socially, isn't it? Not just how we think about work, but actually what life looks oh, yeah, like and yeah. how my work and life go together yeah, and exactly. how yeah. we raise families. I mean, it really is as old as that, Absolutely. isn't it? But massively. And, and on the one hand, you can you, you can definitely look at this with a glass half full or a glass half empty lens. Yeah, the positives are if you are hardworking and entrepreneurial and good at managing your time, you can have a much nicer career with much better work-life balance. It's going to be mostly working from home. You can get out when you need to. You know, you can keep learning new skills and generating new revenue streams and life's wonderful. Yeah. For those people who like to be to have structure and be told what to do and where they fit in the machine. It could be pretty scary because there is no machine. It's just called humanity. You've got yes. to work it out. Yes. Yes. And I think there's been an assumption that being an entrepreneur is an unusual thing, you know, that we're, that we're I don't know what percentage of the population are entrepreneurs, but the assumption I think still is like people go into a job and they get paid a salary and they have that security and that stability, you know, and there's only the crazy ones like us that go out and do their yeah. own thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. But it's it, in reality, anything that you can be taught and that has a routine to it will be automated mm-hmm. pretty much. So it's only the stuff that can't be taught that will be done by you. And that's things like coming up with new ideas, designing them, building them, fixing them, improving them, but actually doing the job will very often be, you know, in most cases, be automated. And therefore, everyone needs to be able to dream up new ideas, think about new things, reinvent things for the better etc. Or do very human stuff. I think, and I'm not an expert here, I think nursing is probably quite safe because it's a very human occupation. So there might be a few things that still need some humans, but in most cases, like, would I encourage my kids to be a doctor, a lot of which can be automated, like a GP, or would I encourage them to actually be an engineer that reinvents medicine? Um, I'd probably do the latter. Uh, There is a lot of self-assessment now going on that might uh, negate the need for a lot of stuff that doctors do, especially primary care doctors. So you really need to think it through. Career advice, I think, is probably harder than it's ever been, you know, in history, I would guess. And every generation is so different, aren't they? But I feel like this the the next couple of generations are gonna be so fundamentally different. The world will be so different for them. Yeah. So it's what's been interesting. So our community is mostly people in their thirties, forties, fifties. So they've generally got a good ten years under their belt of work experience. Often in those big corporates that we're now saying will, you know, die or decline <laughs> one day. We don't have many people in their twenties. And yet most surveys say people in their twenties want more independence. They don't want corporate yeah. careers. So I'm kind of wondering if they're so into it, why they're not coming our way? And I think there's a few things going on. One of them is a lot of them in their 20s, when they think of being independent, they want to be an influencer and they haven't yet realized it doesn't really pay the bills yeah. in most cases. Yeah, it's best to develop the skills and actually add value to you know, clients, et cetera, because there, you know, there's only so many influencers you can have who make enough money to pay the bills. So there might be an element of that Something that we've seen, so most of our clients are in the startup, and most startups actually love hiring people in their 20s because they're cheap and they're smart and they're adaptable. They don't like hiring full-time people in their 40s or 50s because they're expensive and maybe a little rigid. So we see a model with startups whereby the average age of the full-time employees is probably 
late 20s, but there's a lot of mentors and consultants and board members who are maybe a bit older, a bit wiser, have been around the block a few times, but they're not paid on a full-time yeah. basis. They're you know paid for a few hours a week or something yeah. like that. And it, if you think from an efficiency perspective, having junior or young full-time employees and older fractional employees does make yeah. a ton of sense. I'm not sure, I'm sure there are scenarios where it might not make sense, but a lot of startups concluding that's the best way to to build a team on a shoestring. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And you, because you've worked both for sort of big organizations like Coca-Cola and you work with startups. So what yeah. what's the reaction to this change from the bigger organizations? I think most will realize, to be frank, I don't talk to them much, although I've got friends at them, let's say. You know, my world is very much the startup world. I think most of them realize that they need to adapt. But most most big companies now are paranoid that startups are going to you know destroy them because there's just so much going innovation around in every industry right. that uh, you know you name an industry, it's crazy innovation coming from startups nibbling away at market share, etc. You take brewing is an interesting one. Ages ago when I worked at Coca-Cola, my my startup plan was to form a microbrewery, but now there's what thousands yeah. of microbreweries all just taking away a bit of market share from the big guys. And yes, the big guys now and again buy them, but you know they're also over time it's a it's a tough game. Um, do they need to become a portfolio of a thousand brands? But then there's also this war for talent is, you know, individuals generally want to be more independent. They either want to work for startups or work for themselves, uh, not work for a big corporate. And that's going to get worse, right. not better. So you start adding it together. I think most big companies, they need to change. But being the stodgy big companies they are with very few entrepreneurs in them, they're not changing that rapidly. And yeah. I think one day we'll probably read some case studies of big companies who didn't adapt to this new world that worked fast enough and died. I think most will end up adapting. And the main way they will adapt is by shrinking the core yeah. headcount because they don't need as many people full-time. If you think about how many, to really hire someone full-time, if you're being logical about it, you need to say, I need this person with these skills, 48 weeks a year, 40 hours a week. And it, I, in the next year or two, I can't see why it might not be automated or outsourced. Yeah. There's not many jobs really fit that. <laughs> and for most other jobs, you should get them done on a fractional basis in one yeah. way or another. I mean, what's interesting, I think, from because I also work with a lot of startups and also some of the big guys. And what's interesting to me is there's still this element of control with the big organizations. So, you know, what you're saying makes logical sense. If you're yeah. if you come from a culture that's about control, having this random person that works a few days a week yeah. and I don't know, I can't keep track of what they're doing, feels like you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll have someone sitting at their desk that I can watch, you know? I know that's, I, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but, yeah. no, I'm with you. you know, yeah. there's some of that, isn't there? Yeah, I agree. I think the whole get people in the office is generally a sign of big old-fashioned companies who actually don't really know what people do. They don't really know what their value add is. So at least if they can keep an eye on them, look over their shoulder and check they're not on Facebook, they'll somehow think they're getting bad. Yeah. But really it just shows it's a bad organization model with weak nah. leaders because ultimately... Everyone should know what they need to do. They don't need to sit next to them to do that. And they should be able to measure the output. Otherwise, why not challenge it and yes. fix it? Um, again, this is where I think a lot of startups are stronger is they adapted to lockdown very easily. They, you know, they can't afford to have anyone on payroll that isn't adding value. And therefore, they're always saying, what are you up to today? What are you up to this week? How can I help you do more? Uh, and if it doesn't work out, cutting them too. But in essence, making sure that people add value every day because they want to, they're enabled to do it, they're supported in doing it, and cutting them if they don't. And realistically, that's it. There'll be very few places to cruise yes. in the future. Because in essence, companies shrinking their core headcount, getting most done via you know, fractional talent, 
the fractional talent, you know, every month you're sending an invoice and getting paid and you need to sort of justify that once a month. Yes. Which means that you're kind of justifying your job once a month. But again, people might say that's a really bad thing, but actually why shouldn't you earn your salary and prove it every month? I mean, it's like you're getting paid. You should be paid yeah. for something. And I, I also think because I work a lot in culture um, and, you know, it's a very interesting cultural question, isn't it? Of like, how do you, if you've got fractional executives, how do you have them connected enough to your business? How do you get them to care? How do you get them to, yeah, you yeah. know, to feel that sense of connection and belonging and community okay. that you have when you all created something together, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. No, what we do, and I don't know how this translates to others, is we hire only fractional talent from our community. Well, so I mean, actually, if you look on LinkedIn, you'll see 40-something people say they work for the tip. Our core team is 10. 30-something members of the community work with us in somewhere or another. When we design a new course, we do it with our members. When we write an article, we do it with our members. Sales is done via our community. Uh, when we do consulting work with our clients, yeah, it's through the community. And so these are already culturally, they like the portfolio sector. They know what they do. They, they've built it anyway. And there'll be more of that. So we still get stuff done by a, a fractional talent, but they're fractional talent that we know and like and trust. And I think... That's probably the way to do it. Now, can every company build their own ecosystem? It's hard, but I would encourage every company as much as possible to say, I've got a few favorites. Yeah, when I need someone to write an article, I've got someone who is yeah. my writer. They might be paid by the article, but they might, yeah, they get my style, my tone of voice, whatever. Yeah, if you have someone who you, for training, you have your preferred trainer or whatever it might be. So you kind of, as much as possible, have a stable of trusted people that you can call on as yes. required. And when not... Yeah, we need a processes to say, how do you find someone who yeah. will fit? And that's what we're trying to build as a portfolio creator is people who in particular really get the startup and scale up world and they have a real spike of expertise that people will want, but also a really reliable skill set that they will deliver what they promised um, and do it in a way where they they won't let themselves down or hurt the brand of the portfolio yes. collective. So it's very much a brand of as if we recommend talent, you know, they're going to do a great yeah. job for you. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Because they're already in your ethos and in your world, you know, and you know who yes. they are. It kind of takes yeah. the risk out in some ways, right, of kind of recommending people yeah. and whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It does. Now, one of the things it's done for us is that we don't want to grow at any expense of most people joining our community are friends of friends, which is a, one of those old, very old-fashioned ways of growing um, is you're growing based on people saying, you belong here, you're the right kind of skill set and culture. But it means that we, you know, when we started off the portfolio collective, we said, wow, you know, by 2030, there'll be 180 million white collar portfolio professionals. We should aim for 10 million. Now we're at 8,000 members now and saying, maybe 200,000 is enough, even in 10 years' time. Yeah, because we want to grow organically and, and that might be slower. And we're okay with that because actually, what's life about? It's not about volume, it's about working with people you know and trust. Yes. Yeah. So collaborating with people you know and trust, et cetera. And, you know, 200,000 would still be an amazing number of really cool communities. So it's very much a quality first, the volume will be what yes. it will be. Yes, no, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because I always say to people, you know, I and my business tend to have quite long-standing relationships with people, exactly for the reasons you described with organizations, because no, no, no. they know us, they like yeah. us, we get the culture, we've yeah. been on this sort of journey with them for a while. And we've always had this ethos of going, well, I yeah. don't want to go in and deliver a training program. It's not interesting to me. I want to find the thing that shifts culture forward. Yeah. So we quite often get that feedback. We go to organizations yeah, and people will say, gosh, it feels like you're one of us. Like you get our organization. You're kind of like an extension of us. 
Well, I've been saying that to people actually, yeah. and it really crystallized yeah. for me from our conversation of like, I'm not part of those organizations, but I care about them and I feel a resonance with them. So I yeah. can create value from that perspective, yeah. even though I do lots of other things too, you know? Yep. Yeah. I like it. And then there is a mindset. I think, again, with startups, whether they hire you on a full-time basis or a fractional basis, they want you to be passionate mm-hmm. about the mission because it's kind of, they don't want people who are cynical. You can be cynical like there's a better way of achieving the mission, but not cynical about, is the mission worth aiming for? Or I don't care about the mission, just, you know, pay me for a day's yeah. work. They they want, what's the phrase? Not, they want not mercenaries. They want, um, was it um, patriots, not mercenaries kind of thing. It's like, yeah, this is my gang and this is my mission. I'll, I'll, you know, kick down doors to make it happen kind of thing. So, if, if, but but with that, if you're passionate about the mission, it does show with your clients. They do say, wow, you just really get it, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so you say the same for culture, et cetera. It's like, it is, this is my crowd and I might only be in it for a day, a, a week or a day, a month, but it's still, it's a bunch of people that I like trying to achieve something that I'm yes. passionate about. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was, I was kind of reading different things on your website earlier and feeling like, you know, I, I have this real passion, always have had, of doing work that's purposeful and that you feel passionate about, you know? And so that's Hello. why I'm kind of connected yeah, with what yeah. you're doing. So I'm like, well, you know, what if you could have four or five different things going on that you're passionate about? Or for somebody like me, where I have a specific skill set, yeah. but I like doing it in different places. And every so often along the way, somebody's offered me a job and I'm Absolutely. like, no, yeah. thanks. <laughs> I like being nosy and going, yeah. <laughs> Sorting stuff out. Like, yeah. And why can't you stitch things together? Yeah. Exactly. And why can't you, with me, others, stitch together work in a way that creates something yeah. a bit unique? Like, you know, in theory, I could just be a, be a founder or, or work with founders, but I work with founders and investors. And I think both make me better at yes. the other. So by working very close with founders, helping the build work companies, I can help investors find better things to okay. invest in because I know, you know what's smoke and mirrors, what's real, all the business. By working with uh, investors, I can do a better job with founders because I can help them with their fundraise to say, what do you need to achieve you know, to be able to raise money? What's the story you need to tell? What's the KPIs you need to meet? And so, you know, and, and people can pick all sorts of angles. Yeah. You, know, you might say, do you know what? I, I don't want to work just in advertising. I want to work in advertising and healthcare. And that way I can add value to healthcare companies about advertising, advertising companies about healthcare or whatever. You, you, you pick and choose your permutations, combinations that makes you right. stand out but also create value in a different way that, you know, it wouldn't have been possible if you could only have one job. I love that. I love that. Yes. And, and you know, and, and you, so you're, you have the ability to create something unique, right? Which, which A, makes sense commercially. Cause it oh, it's you, totally. You know, it's a big drop. Something different. But, on the, but it's also you, unique. So it's yeah. fulfilling, right? Exactly. It's a mixture of what are you good at, you know, where do you have, you know, it's always good to have some credibility. So what have you done before and therefore you've got some credibility? What are you passionate about? That's almost like where you're going to go to. What will people pay you for? What does the world need? You know, what pays the bills? And then you stitch yeah. it together. So another thing, for example, I really do like working with early stage startups. They never have yeah. any money. So they can't pay me money. So they tend to pay me in stock options. And that's fine because the stuff I do with investors yeah. pays the bills. So again, you stitch it together in a pragmatic way of something's got to pay the bills, but not everything has to pay the bills. You know, some people like hearing or, or, or spend quality time with family and say, well, okay, well, like, why don't I earn a bit more per hour by being awesome at X? And that way I only need to work three days a week. So I've got more time for family. There's so many yeah. ways to stitch it together rather than 
I get a job, I do 40 hours a week, I get paid. And the reality is a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of multi-passionate, right? You know, we, we the, it's called entrepreneurial oh, yeah. mindset that we like doing different things that we do have. And as you say, each bit fires up the other bit, right? So, you know, I get a bit, when I work with people on my business, yeah. Or Big time. I've had people try and sort of segment me down a route and I'm like, I don't want to just do that one thing for that, you know, that multi thing <laughs> of like state the bubbler, have yeah. your ideal avatar. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I've been bored within a week. Yeah. It doesn't work for me. You know, I want to be, I want to be yeah, learning. It's no, it's, you're right. And it's a reason why, yeah, entrepreneurs, obviously the, the, the part of the core DNA of, DNA of entrepreneurs, they look at the world differently and say, you know, this world could be better. I'm going to try and make it happen. Yes. Uh, which is great because they're kind of fearless and radical and whatever. But it also means they sometimes get bored. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of, you build a company, the company I was really good at X and all the future changes are incremental. I like radical change. What am I going to do? You go and found something else. Maybe you become an angel investor so that you can invest in other radical founders or you go off to university and teach because you realize that the professors are all covered in cobwebs and and, and, and needs a a shake-up or whatever yes. it might be, but there's kind of a just a deep desire to society somehow yeah. and a passion for, a bit of an adrenaline junkie, a bit of a passion for radical change rather than incremental yes. change. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Low boredom thresholds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and frankly, when I was at Google, I got to Google and it was a chaotic mess and I really helped structure, here's how we do sales, here's how we do marketing, here's how we do partnerships, here's how we monetize all these audiences. Three years in, I thought, can you yeah. bored now? <laughs> It's like a, I kind of built a machine, which got on to be quite a successful money-making machine before. I liked taking the chaos and, you know, and wrestling with it, but now there's not much to wrestle. Most changes going forward are incremental. Someone else can do that. I'll move on yeah. and do something else instead. I was the same, and I worked for an internet startup years ago, and again, it was the two founders of me in marketing and somebody else doing sales. So my previous career was marketing. And, you know, we built up this thing, but then, you know, the market crashed a bit. And so we weren't doing new stuff anymore. And I was like, do you know what? I think I just have to leave because yeah. I can't, I can't, you don't, there's no pay, there's no yeah. paying yeah. me to just maintain, you know, that's not worth my salary. And also yeah, I'm exactly. going to get yeah. really yeah. disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to get bored and I want to have new things to do, yeah. you know? So if you want me to do X, Y, and Z, I can do that. I can't sit and I maintain. That's just not my yeah. skill set, you know? No, yeah. Yeah. So if somebody's listening and they're thinking, gosh, this sounds amazing, I can work to my passions, I can do variety, I can work around my kids, you know, and yeah. um, new world that's emerging, yeah. what what do you suggest is the first, you know, like the people that, that phoned you initially and said, oh, I want to do something yeah. like you, Ben, what, like, what on earth do I do? What's your advice? Yeah. So, good question. And there is a one answer, the reason being everyone's situation yeah. is different. So if, let's say, for example, just been laid off and you've had a three month payoff and you're keen to do it, I'd go all in. So, right, okay, build, join the portfolio center, build your profile, do a couple of courses, get out there networking, start getting a few wins under your belt and do it because, you know, you got three months pay and, you know, you've got a lot of time. If, for example, you haven't been laid off and you've got a mortgage and school fees and, you know, other family commitments, you might want to start with read a few articles about portfolio careers, start a side hustle that kind of, Start to help you get a flavor for it with the side hustle. Bank every single dollar that you make because it's spare cash. So that builds you a buffer. Uh, it also helps you work out. You can build, you know, set up your legal entity, set up your business bank account, work out how the taxes work, work out how you market your services, how you price. And there's a lot you can do on the yes. side. And then 
over time, you get more and more confidence from your paying side hustles. On top of that, you build up a cash buffer, which then gives you the ability to, at some stage, either quit the day job or even with the day job, go down to four days a week or three days a week. Uh, I know some people are nervous about that. I've advised a lot of people to do it. But so far, every single employer has said, okay, because it's a tough talent market. Yeah. Even now with the economy looking a bit shaky, if you're good at your job, go to your boss and say, I want to be four days a week or three days a week. Unless you literally have to be there because you're a receptionist in a hotel and you actually need to be on the desk or whatever. Even then, it's probably shifts, I guess. But basically, most employers will take it. They'll say, fine, you want to work four days a week, you take a 20% pay cut. Yeah, good luck with your side hustles. And the only real thing is the side hustles can't be competing with your, com- yes. your employer. Um, but uh, yeah, in most cases, fine anyway. <laughs> and you can't compete is a valid reason yeah. to say no. But beyond that, you can do it. And I, you know, it, it, I, I effectively did that. Yeah, obviously there wasn't really a path or a phrase or an advisor for me, but in essence, I had a lot of side hustles that were paying the bills, not paying all my bills, but paying some bills before I quit right. the day job. And I kind of knew I'd saw there was more demand than for. So if I quit the day job, I'd be able to do a bit more. So I, and so when I had my full-time job, I'm a workaholic, so it's probably 60 hours a week. And I probably did maybe eight hours a week on top with my side hustles. The moment I ditched the day job, my side hustles turned into 20 hours straight away just because there was more demand that I hadn't been able yes. to do. So that was a good start. And then I had to work out how do you get from 20 to 40 or 50. And that took six to nine months, but I got there in the end. And, and now I wish I was back at those lovely low numbers. <laughs> um, but basically it, it, it does take, that's the reality. Yeah. Working out who you are as a portfolio professional isn't something you wake up one day and say, I've got a plan. You kind of write a plan, you iterate a plan, you, you, you build your profile, you start networking, you win a few clients, you find you the pricing, you realize maybe there's something a bit different that you want to do as well, or there's something on the side. And and if you're lucky, you get there in six months. If if you're less lucky, it might take yeah. 12, but that's the kind of time frame um, to yeah, do it. I love that because, you know, I often say to, to clients of mine and people are trying to figure stuff out from a theoretical perspective, or I have to have all the answers in my head. And then when I've got all the answers, I'll launch something. And it's like, actually, you learn more. Going, oh, no, so you'll never have all the answers. By the time you do, the absolutely. world's changing. you got to start thinking all over again. So you, so you just got to wade in, just wade in and start doing it and working yeah. it out. And it's what I did actually when I was in my last corporate job and started training as a coach. I went down to four days a week and I had one day a week to coach and to do my training and to get the certifications I needed and all of those things. And, you know, arguably added more value from a cultural and team perspective from doing my coaching. So it kind oh, yeah. of linked yeah. into what I was doing anyway, you know, so, yeah. but it, but it definitely. Yeah. Netty. Yeah. Yeah. If you're necky, you can get away. So I actually, in my last full-time job, I negotiated the whole job, salary, whatever, title, job description, et cetera. And then I said, well, one thing I forgot, I want to take you know two days a month off for my side hustles. And they said, okay, will you take a 10% pay cut? I said, no, it will make me better at my day job and here's why. And it was actually a good story. And they bought it. So I ended up not taking the pay cut while agreeing to two days off per month. I'm not saying you'll always get that. Most people end up having to take a pay cut, you know, proportional to how much time they get off. But I managed to, I, I mean, the, t- the, the, the negotiation was deliberate. It's like, get them to literally turn down all the other candidates except me and let's say by the way I need two days a month off and then they don't want to restart the process yeah. so um they said yeah go for it so what's, what's been the, the impact on your life Ben of kind of going from being a full-time employee to having a portfolio career so I'm loving it mm-hmm. so which is nice it's a real adrenaline rush that I am an adrenaline junkie so you know that's good but it, it's almost like Lots of little worries to replace a small number of big worries. So let's say, for example, 
you're in a full-time job. You're worried that you're becoming obsolete. At least everyone I know in a full-time is worried that they're becoming obsolete. And one day they get laid off because they're too expensive or because there's been a change. It's like, oh my God, I'm out of a job and I don't know how employable I am. I might need to take a massive pay cut. I might be six months or a year out of work. You know, there's a lot of risk. As a portfolio professional, there's always a risk you lose a client or a revenue stream, but it's not catastrophic. And so what it does is you're always, I think this revenue stream might trend down or, or go away. That client's running out of cash. I, I work with startups too, so now and again, my client's run out of cash. Or that work stream, some of the stuff I do with investors, it's like that's trending down a bit because it's linked to the NASDAQ and that's trending down. So then I'll say, okay, so I need to over the next three to six months work out a different revenue stream or, or bump up something else. And then it's like, okay, so I'm going to actually become a thought leader on this yeah. subject, or I'm going to try and win a couple more clients that look like this. And so you're constantly fine-tuning the portfolio. So there's never a crisis. There's never a big existential worry, but you're kind of constantly saying, I need to keep up yes. And so it's kind of a these state is mildly neurotic, but proactively improving the portfolio, where, as opposed to complacent, but also paranoid about becoming yes. obsolete. Yes. And it keeps you alive. It, I think it plays out our instinct yeah. And feeling powerless is okay. a terrible feeling. I always say that, you know, if you if you feel like you're sitting on something yeah. and you have a worry about it, but you're not doing anything about it, that's a horrible feeling because it it's yeah. and it's bad for the body, it's bad for yeah. everything, right? Because you're in that sort of paralysis, yeah. you know? And I think that was what one thing the lockdown yeah. taught us, isn't it? Is that it's not necessarily more secure to have a full time job. There was that that was a kind of cultural well, right, not but now that's not true, is it? You know, and I think lots of people discovered that. Absolutely, I've got a lot of friends at Google. Uh, actually, a lot have been laid off lately, but there are a lot of people thinking, you know, five years ago, I should probably quit Google. I'm not learning that much anymore. I'm not having that much fun. It's a big machine, but they're kind of saying, but it's really well paid and it's really easy, and everyone respects me because it's Google. And now they're being laid off, and they're all taking massive pay cuts and really worried about stuff. And it's like a lot of them saying, I should have left three years ago. I should have left five years ago. I should have left six years ago. But it was just too easy. And in essence, if they'd left three, four, five, six years ago, they would have become much more employable now. And you know, they'd probably be earning what they would still be earning rather than taking the pay cut. They'd also have had a lot more yeah. fun. And there's also a lot of hedging your bets as well. So one of the reasons I when I realized that I, I wanted a portfolio career is I turned down um the COO of role at Revolut, Big Bank, you know. And I just thought, A, I'm not passionate about fintech, but B, I don't want all my eggs in one basket. Brilliant company. I really, really respect it. But they could be killed by Apple. They could be killed by Google. They could be killed by regulation. They could be killed by Barclays. It's like, I don't want all my eggs in one basket. So I'd rather work with multiple companies where I've got a few stock options here. I'm an angel investor there. I've got a, I don't know, incentive scheme there. And yeah, nothing's ever going to make me a billionaire, but that portfolio will build wealth over time. Yes. I think there's also, it's very easy to think of, a full-time job safe, but you talk to the people who had their pensions stolen at the Daily Mail or, or, or Mirror or whatever it was. You talk to the people who you know were planning on retiring on their stock options at a company that just tanked on the Nasdaq. Yeah, it's like having a full-time job is really yeah. high risk. Yeah, there's a reason why investors don't invest in yeah. one thing. They they hedge their bets, and I think we as individuals need to hedge our bets with our own finances. I really like that analogy that, you know, if you're doing a number of different things and something may be flying and something may be kind of declining a little bit, but, you know, you 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 have, you're also managing it proactively. So it's interesting as I listen to you, I think gosh, it takes a very yep. different skill set though to not know what that end yep. number is at the end of the month, you know, 
and to have your salary fluctuate up and down and to yep. have to be proactive and network and find your eyes and find your work and yep. all of that, it probably feels quite normal to you, but to many people that would feel pretty scary. Yeah. It would, but the reality is they better work it out because, you know, probably 50% of full-time workers will be laid off in the next yeah. decade and they won't be getting another full-time job. Yeah. So, yeah, best thing to do is get that side hustle up, hustle up and running. If nothing else, get a side hustle up and running. Yeah, I'd recommend that to yeah. everyone. So you're ready for, you know, that's a bit of a parachute if at some stage, you know, you, you get the uh, get the boot, as it were, on a yeah. full-time job. So what are the plans for the Portfolio Collective? What's your vision, Ben? So there's loads going on. So we've got 8,000 members now in the community. It's about 45% UK and then 15% US and then other big countries like Germany, France, India, etc. So as I mentioned, it's not really a volume play. Where I think it is, it's, it's like a quality of engagement uh, is, is the main goal. So how do we help our members' careers more and more and more? How do we help them collaborate more and right. more and more? Also, we're starting to get a lot of like inbound clients, typically startups or scale-ups, or all the VCs have invested them, saying, can you help my, my um, portfolio companies? Can you help my founders? I know they need a mentor, they need a coach, they need a consultant, they need an interim this, a fractional that, whatever. So I think it's more about, we've probably been 99% focused on our members to date. I think I'd rather be like 70% focused on members than 30% focused on clients. And it, essentially building the ecosystem that makes everything richer. So, you know, in lockdown, we really just said to anyone, Friday Greer will help you with training and collaboration. And we said, look, the world's too big and diverse for us to help you find work. But actually, we're starting to help them find work now. So how do we build this ecosystem whereby every founder in the world wants a mentor from the Paul Friday Collective? Yeah, every VC wants to partner with the Paul Friday Collective as a great place to look for fractional talent. How can we help our members probably with a, a, some useful software to form teams and your project teams to take on more complex work as a team. How do we make it all really seamless from a billing and tax perspective, et cetera. So you, know, you take away some of the app and headaches from our members, so they can focus on doing the work they enjoy doing. So, you know, fast forward five, 10 years in the future, I'd like, love to think we have got the best brand in the world for fractional talent that supports the startup ecosystem. And an amazing platform that enables that. It helps, you know, clients find talent, talent find opportunity, and individuals in the community find collaborators to form teams. And then I'd love the, for the community to be have the right combination whereby we can kind of service all startup needs. So whether that's by industry, by function, by geography, I'd love for someone to come along and say, do you know what? I need a mentor for my CTO. He or she needs to have been a CTO in a health tech AI company that sold to the NHS. And I can go filter, filter, yeah. filter. Yeah, I've got three of them. Would you yeah. like to meet them? No yeah, because you've got this amazing diversity of talent and really easy ways of matching talent with opportunity. Mm. And I love the fact that, that that's a kind of win-win always round, isn't it? You know, that, that founders and startups really well, yeah, need, you know, exceptional talents, as you say, not full-time, but for certain projects or certain times in that evil business, they yeah. can get it. And on the other side, it gives people opportunities yep. and there's a kind of community aspect, Absolutely, you know, you said something. Absolutely. And that's where I build that balance. Yeah. yeah. For sure. You call, there was something on your website. This speaks my language, right? So I'm going to say it was like, you said that it was a hub of prof profound connection on your, that's what the portfolio collection. It was a hub of profound connection. Yeah. That sounds like someone else's work. That might me being quoted. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. So that it is. Yeah, what's the right to it? 
it is a hub in which you don't quite know who you're going to meet, but you always meet someone smart that leaves a spark flying. So, yeah, we ask our members, why do you come to these events? Why do you join this community? Why do you like it? They'll say, everyone else here is so smart, so accomplished, and so different to me. I don't quite know what I'm going to get, but I love it every time. So that's the community thing. It's like, it's a community that people want to be part of because there's people to learn from and laugh with and collaborate with. And given that everyone's so different, it's also not very competitive. Yeah. I think a lot of communities like lots of accountants or lots of lawyers or engineers or whatever. And arguably, you're all competitors. Yes, you can love each other, but you're kind of competing. Our community is always different where everyone's just kind of ridiculously cool, but a bit yeah. different. And so it's, it's just nothing to do but yeah. you know, collaborate. And, you know, and, and I think as, as people that are not in organizations, it's also that sense of connection and community is important, isn't it? You know, that people sure. you can yeah. speak to, you think, oh, God, yeah. that sparked a different idea in my brain that I wouldn't have come up with because you can not perspective. No, that in itself is really powerful, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, big time. So back in lockdown, and it's improved even since that, there are three worries for people who are either in portfolio careers or thinking about a portfolio career. It's complexity. It's actually quite hard to be a one-person business. It's loneliness. You know, you're on your own. And then it's stability of earnings. Will I earn enough each month to right. pay the bills? I'd say we we really tackled the first two well. Like we've made it way less hard by doing the hard work, writing the articles, providing the courses. We make it way less lonely. Yeah, we've got an amazing community of people who support each other. And we solve part of the last bit. We'll never solve all the last bit. How much you earn does depend on how much, how hard you work and how much you network. But we can give people all the the toolkit to do as well yep. as they can, and we can also make sure we build a brand which which sucks in yep. work. But maybe, best case, maybe we'll solve fifty percent of that last one. But it's definitely solving the first two. Yeah, really well. amazing. I was thinking when I was um, just thinking about this conversation earlier, and I wanted to tell you a conversation I had with my daughter because I thought it would amuse you, but she's eleven. And she's always been artistic. So even when she went to nursery, they would say, you just, if you don't like make her leave and eat, she would just sit at the art table all day. Like that's been true all the way through her life and her, her career. So she's, I used to say Love she it. wants to be an artist yeah. and she would correct me and say, I am an artist, mummy. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So yes. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. So uh, yeah, we had a conversation awesome. recently where somebody who's obviously more old school said to her, what do you want to be? You know, when you grow up kind of thing. And she said, I'm an artist. And the, this person said, you know, artists don't make any money, right? And she said, I'm not only being an artist, I'm also going to invest in crypto. I'm building a uh-huh. cafe and I'm going to do this. <laughs> and I was like, I felt like, yes, yeah, job nice. here is well, done. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah, exactly. She wanted to be an artist growing up. Actually, she painted this behind me. So she's a really good artist. But her parents actually did say artist is art isn't a subject; it's a hobby. So she studied design at Central St Martins and had a career in fashion, and then startups and PCs, etc. Uh, but she's still, yes, yeah, she's is still an artist, and actually, she's weaving being an artist into her own portfolio mm-hmm. career as well. Like she helps people with personal brands, she helps with the branding, but also with the art that goes with yeah. the brand. Um, so yeah, you can find a way to weave yeah. together. I think that's one of the most exciting things that you've sparked in my head, Ben, from this conversation is being able to create your own unique thing that brings in all the flavors of the pieces. Do you totally. know what I mean? And yeah. then so it gives you differentiation. And so it yeah, totally, is it? That's you know, about it. but also it just it just then means that you're doing all the things you like, yeah. which is like, why wouldn't we create work? Exactly, yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And you need to be pragmatic and say you need to pay the bills, but ultimately there's a way to stitch it together in, in the way it pays the bills and makes you happy. And 
um, is yes. unique. Yes, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with us, and um, Ben. And we'll obviously put the link to the Portfolio Collective here so people can come and check you out and join and join the community. And I think the the basic membership is free, right? Yes, totally. Yeah, it's, it's uh, most of what we do is free. Uh, it's only if you want to attend the courses, really, you need okay. to pay. So for anyone that's even curious, um, and, at and just hang out and meet interesting yeah, people. you can come in. Totally. Yeah, you could you can you know read the articles, fill out a profile, come to the bigger events, apply for jobs, all for free. As they, it's just the courses because they cost yeah. us money to deliver, so we we have to charge. Amazing. Those. Well, I think you're doing brilliant work in the world, Ben. I have to say, yeah. and you know I've been going on about more flexible Thank work you. for at least ten years, so this makes me very happy that <laughs> there are you know more and more of us on this mission to make work fulfilling and fun and profitable. Oh yeah without sacrificing ourselves you know yeah thank you bye talk soon thank you for listening to the visionary collective podcast with lisa mitchell if you want to be part of this exciting bigger movement come and join other amazing visionary purpose-led entrepreneurs in my free facebook group the visionary collective 